Amen. Thank you, choir. I feel like my heart has been tuned this morning already as we hear the stories of what God's doing around the world. And that's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That we can have our hearts shaped and formed and so in tune with the redemptive purposes that God has for this world that we become the hands and feet of Christ, serving the least of these, bringing hope and truth and justice in places that need it the most. That's why we're here today. And we're going to continue in our series for October to look at times of how God has called us, how God is calling us now, how God has called his people throughout history, especially by looking at the prophets. The two big ones that we're looking at are Isaiah, and then today we start Jeremiah as well. And throughout this whole month, we've been looking at how the Lord of hosts has, has invited each one of us to leave our, our baggage at the door and to join in his invitation to RSVP to his invitation to flourish and to thrive and to leave all of our sin and shame and suffering behind. We're in the prophets now. We will be for the rest of 2017 in our Bible reading plan for this year. We know that there's, there's 15 writing prophets in the Bible, the three major prophets because they're larger, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then you have the book of the 12, the 12 minor prophets as well. And I know some of you are really struggling with reading through the prophets because there's a lot of doom and gloom in the prophets. There's a lot of really tough things that the prophets are saying are going to happen in their oracles of the Lord that they're presenting to God's people. They're not easy books to read through, but they are reflective of the times in which they were produced, actually. These writing prophets all lived in a very violent and, and turbulent time in the history of God's people. Remember reading through 2 Kings and how awful that was? Well, that's the time period of these prophets, okay? It's a, a brutal time. A lot of awful things are happening to God's people. So the prophets are, in many ways, products of their context, of the times in which they were called to minister and prophesy. So the glory days of, of King David and King Solomon are long gone by this point, right? You have the divided kingdom. You have Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And, and all the kings of, of Israel are bad and corrupt and they're following pagan uh, uh, gods and the gods of the culture around them. And half the kings in Judah are bad and they're following after uh, all kinds of idols and, 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 and false ways of living. Foreign superpowers have risen to prominence all around God's people, and they're threatening, they're menacing the people of God. They're, they're putting exorbitant taxes and tributes that they're demanding from God's people during this time. It would be easy when you hear about all this bad stuff happening during Israel's history of this period to blame God, wouldn't it? You, you might read through it and say, where is God in all this? Why, why doesn't God swoop in and save his people from the oppression of the people around them. But when we read closely in the prophets, it, it becomes clear that it wasn't God who left. It was God's people whose hearts became so hard, who became so calloused to their habitual sin, to their pagan ways, that they could no longer hear the call of God. I told you the first week how my phone a lot of times is on silent. I miss calls all the time from important people who I love and, and want to hear from and need to hear from. Is your 
phone from God on silent? Do you not hear the Lord speaking to you? That's the question that we've been posing all month long. This, this happens because, like I said, that they had become so numb to God's call. It's, it's not that he wasn't calling. He had sent them plenty of prophets, right? Biblical prophets who came and spoke God's word, his truth to them, but they would not hear it. They did, however, listen closely to the, the voice of many false prophets who proclaimed to them, oh, the Lord is, is blessing you in prosperity because of your going after Baal, the, the, the false god. Yeah, so keep doing it. You're experiencing this economic growth because of your idolatry. And they said, great, we listen to you guys, but we're not listening to the false prophets. They, they also heard well the call of economic prosperity itself that said you should attain as much as you possibly can in this life. They, they became excellent arms dealers through a lucrative arms deal with Egypt. Through, through lying, through cheating, through stealing, whatever means necessary, they did obtain much economic and, and pros, prosperous times during this era. But God is not to blame clearly then for the calamities that they experience in any way, shape, or form. This is not God's doing. It's, it's the inevitable consequences of the people's doing. In fact, we see that over and over again in the prophets, God's heart is broken by his people's rejection of his call. The fact that they are not heeding the voice of God through the prophets. And even the, the prophet who represents this, this kind of godly heartache the best is certainly Jeremiah. This week we started reading through the book of Jeremiah, and we see that it's filled with lamentation over the state of God's people in the midst of their brokenness in which the prophet found himself living in the kingdom of Judah in the south. Even today when someone writes about the sorry state of society around them or begins to lament the, the culture, it's known as a Jeremiad, right? If someone writes an article in the paper or something, it's called a Jeremiad. Because Jeremiah does indeed weep both for the sin of God's people and for the consequences of that sin. Look at Jeremiah 13, verse 17. It'll be on the screen. Jeremiah says to God's people, if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. He's broken both over their sin and over the consequences of that sin. He cries bitterly because God's flock, his own people, which were supposed to be his treasure for his own possession, his own people were proud and they refused to listen to his truth, which would nurture them and help them flourish. And instead, they, they, in their pride, rejected and the ways of God and bought into the false prophets and therefore were taken captive to be slaves in a pagan land and serve a pagan people. So today and, and next week, we're going to look at two passages that are not so uh, happy necessarily. The, the passages we looked at, at in Isaiah were really happy, encouraging, uplifting passages. Isaiah really goes out with a bang those last ten chapters. He talks about the glory of the Lord that will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. All these beautiful prophecies of the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah chapter 65. But today and next week we're going to look at what more is 
common in the prophets. Oracles of warning. Oracles of calling for repentance. Richard was planning the worship for this service and on Monday he said, whew, I read that passage. It's a tough one. It is a tough passage. It says that because God's people have rejected the Lord, they will be rejected themselves. Not an easy lesson to, to, to hear, but after hundreds of years of disobedience, centuries have gone by where God's people have, have been pagan uh, worshipers. God's been long-suffering. He's been patient, exceedingly patient with them. But now it's time for justice. They will be dealt with according to their sin. No wonder Jeremiah wasn't a very popular prophet. We know that, that he preached for over 40 years in this book, and we only know of two converts that ever received his message favorably. We've had a lot more than that who've accepted Christ here in, in my brief tenure at Woodmont. Thank you uh, for not letting me have to be a Jeremiah, oh Lord. He wasn't called to be popular though. He wasn't called to be successful in the world's eyes. He was called to speak the truth. He was called to tell the people what was reality at God's level. So let's look at those truths this morning. We're going to look at the second half of chapter 6 in Jeremiah, starting in verse 16. Instead of reading the whole, chapter, the whole thing at once, I'm just going to break it down kind of verse by verse as we walk through it together. This first verse, verse 16, is such a, a beautiful verse in itself. It's actually the verse that Morgan and I chose to be Isaiah's life verse. You may have heard it read when we dedicated him, him here in this very sanctuary. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isn't that beautiful? It's a beautiful promise, isn't it? God tells us, ask people who've been around a while how to best navigate this life. I'm so glad that, that Woodmont is blessed with a multi-generational congregation. We have much to learn from those who have traveled this journey of life a little longer than the rest of us. We can ask them, where's the good way? How do you walk in life in the good way? How do you navigate this journey well? You know, I often hear popular speakers and, and, and preachers and, and authors, you know, on Twitter or, or, or social media who will say something like, we have a new revelation from God now. We, we figured something new out about God. We have a new understanding of God and of his word now. So, so now the church must therefore uh, adapt to the culture around us and this new understanding that we have of God, this new revelation. We understand the Bible differently now than a generation ago, so we can change our stance on things that are no longer compatible with, with society these days. What God is saying here, though, in verse 16 to his people through Jeremiah is, no, you, you, you don't actually have a new revelation, and what's more important is you don't need a new revelation. All you need is the courage to respond to the ancient revelation that I've already given you. In the New Testament, Jude, who's the, the brother of Jesus, he's a leader in the church in Jerusalem, he writes to the young church, he says in, in verse 3 of this little short letter, 
He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You see, by by this point in, in church history, the essential core doctrines of the Christian faith had been hammered out. They had been made clear through the teaching of the apostles, the ancient truths of the Hebrew scriptures and the promised Messiah that was in those scriptures had now been fulfilled in the work of Christ Jesus and God's revelation had been completed. Nothing needs to be added to it or taken away from it. As much as we want to change the Christian faith at times, I do, it sure would be easier if we could take out a few things in the Bible, change it the way I would want to write it. (laughs) As much as we we may be tempted to do that, we're, we're not going to do that because we have the revelation that was once for all given to the saints. It's the true, ancient, historic, orthodox Christian faith. And it is sufficient, even in our culture today. You know, in in Mormonism or, or in Islam, either one of those, they teach that the biblical writings are corrupt, and therefore a new revelation is needed in order to correct the biblical writings. Therefore, you have the Quran and the Book of Mormon. To this day, the, the, the Mormon church has a living prophet in, in, in Salt Lake City who at any moment can get a revelation from God and then change the Bible to fit that new revelation or change the, the Book of Mormon or change their core doctrines because he is a prophet of God. And they have this idea that, that, that sometimes God gives us a new revelation, therefore we have to change everything. That's not true for Christians. We believe what has always been believed by all Christians in all places and in all times. The historic, orthodox Christian faith. We don't get to change our faith. What we do have is an an ancient way, yes, but it is a good way. It's actually a way that leads to flourishing, to true human flourishing on earth. It's a way that is tried and true. That's the beauty of asking older people Where's the good way, the tried and true way? We, we want Isaiah to understand this. That's why we chose it for our, our life verse for Isaiah. We want him to know that the old stories are true, that they actually are true. We want him to know that God is faithful and that all his promises in his word are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. When times get hard and Isaiah may lose his way. He may stumble, as we all do inevitably. But when that happens, we want him to return to the ancient path that we know leads to flourishing. He'll find his way then back home to the triune God of the universe at that point. In that way, that good way, we find rest for our souls, he says. A lot of people tend to view Christianity as a burden, as, as if our religion is, is nothing more than a list of do's and don'ts. It's a bunch of rules is what a lot of teenagers tend to think. When I was a youth minister, that's how they saw Christianity a lot of times. But the sad thing is a lot of adults see it that way too, right? Jesus tells us that his way is not like other religions. It's not about do's and don'ts. You know, other religions are largely based on rules, and, and, and religions like that can lead to, to guilt and shame, and suffering that is crushing, that is debilitating, that is overwhelming. 
Because we realize more and more how incapable we are of following those rules. That we are uh, made of flesh, as Bruce prayed earlier. That we stumble along the way. If that was our basis for being justified before God, we'd all be doomed. That's why in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus explains to, to the apostles that following his way, the ancient way, is actually a way of freedom. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. That's the exact same phrase that Jeremiah uses here in verse 16. You know, a yoke is the heavy wooden frame that was used to, to hold two animals together as they would pull a heavy load together. Jewish rabbis would often refer to a, a yoke as, as a, a teaching set of, of rules and regulations. Each rabbi would have their own yoke. You have the, the, the yoke of rabbi uh, whoever, Gamaliel, or rabbi, uh, you know, this one. But Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, and it's actually not a burden. It's actually freedom. In my yoke, you'll actually rest. You won't keep pulling that load that you've been pulling for so long. The ancient way of Jesus is not a yoke of legalism. The, the people of Jesus' days, the Pharisees especially, had all these legalistic demands that they kept imposing on the people who tried to follow God. Jesus, his way is not about being good even. Jesus' way is about believing that Jesus himself is good. That he is good enough to follow with all your heart. That he is the best thing in the world ever. You know, I, I lament the fact that so many folks that I know, they may come to church, but a lot of them love church more than they love Jesus himself. I pray that we would fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ because we believe that he is so good, that he is so much better than anything else this world possibly has to offer. The goodness of Christ, the, the ease and the, the rest of his way isn't always obvious. It's not always apparent to the world. I'll confess, when we had this verse painted uh, in Isaiah's room, uh, to hang in his room, we left off the last pit of that verse. I was proof texting a little bit. You should never do that. It says this, but they said, we will not walk in it. Refusing to follow the good way, the ancient way that God had shown them, God's flock said, no, 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 we're going to go our own way. We don't want to follow that old dusty road. That doesn't look very appealing. doesn't look very attractive. We're going to go, oh, we think this way is going to be better. We're going to go our own way. Breaks God's heart. Even though they had watchmen sent by God to warn them. Verse 17, they ignored them. It says, I set watchmen over you saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not pay attention. These watchmen were the, the prophets who were calling out to God's people, pay attention to the, the shofar, the, the trumpet, the ram's horn that is sounding, that's calling you back to the ancient way. They said, we're not going to hear it. We're going to put our phones on silent. We're not going to listen to the call. So they flat out rebelled. They refused to heed the call. And now there are inevitable things that happen as a result of their rebellion. You know, we're teaching our kids about 
this idea right now, right? As, as parents of young children, we're trying to show them that there are things that inevitably happen as a result of your choices. These things are called consequences. Sometimes your choice has a consequence. Always your choice has a consequence. And you have to own those consequences. Isn't that right, Jude? I see that. Yeah, that's right. Own your choices. There are consequences. Verse 18, look at the consequences. Therefore, hear, O nation, and know, O congregation, what will happen to them, what their consequences will be. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster upon this people, the fruit of their devices, their consequences, because they have not paid attention to my words, and as for my law, they have rejected it. These consequences will happen in plain view, in sight of all these witnesses that God has called to observe. He's saying, come, see what's going to happen as a result of their choices. Maybe if you see what happens to them, it will help you from following that same path. Then God indicts their empty rituals. Verse 20, what use to me is frankincense that comes from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable nor your sacrifices pleasing to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will lay before this people stumbling blocks against which they shall stumble. Fathers and sons together, neighbor and friend shall perish. You know, over and over again throughout Scripture, God decries the empty outward uh, religious practice of people. What God is concerned about isn't so much what we do, but as who we are, right? God looks at the heart, not just at our outward shows of righteousness. He knows what is motivating our outward display. The Lord sees not as humans see. He looks at our hearts. In Psalm 51, after David has an affair with Bathsheba, he cries out to the Lord, confessing in verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. It's our hearts that he wants, not our empty shows of piety. He wants us to love him with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our minds and all of our strength. Therefore, the great nation of the north, Babylon, is coming. Look at verse 22. Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people is coming from the north country. A great nation is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. They lay hold on bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like the roaring sea. They ride on horses, set in array as a man for battle against you, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the report of it. Our hands fall helpless. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain is of a woman in labor. Go not out into the field nor walk on the road, for the enemy has a sword. Terror is on every side. O daughter of my people, put on sackcloth and roll in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son. Make most bitter lamentation, for suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. It's a terrifying picture, isn't it? And you can almost sense as you read this, God's own sense of anguish. And pain at how terrible it's going to be for his children. <coughs> Excuse me. God doesn't want this to happen. 
he sees this dominant army on the horizon coming to crush his daughter, Zion. There's no escape. All they can do now is, is mourn their impending doom. And this passage ends with a, a little lesson in, in medieval ancient uh, metallurgy, okay? Jeremiah serves as a tester of metals. His job is to see how much impurity is left in what is supposed to be a precious metal. You know, if, if there's too much dross, you know what dross is? Dross are the impurities that are in a given substance. If there's too much impurity in a substance, then the metal is no good. Look at verse 27. God says to Jeremiah, I've made you a tester of metals among my people that you may know and test their ways. So Isaiah conducts his assessment and reports back to the Lord. Commentators think verse 28 is Jeremiah speaking. They are all stubbornly rebellious, going about with slanders. They are bronze and iron, not precious metals. All of them act corruptly. They're not the, the pure silver that you intended for them to be. Instead, they're, they're just bronze and iron. They're hard-hearted. They're callous. They're numb to the call of God. Therefore, they're stubborn. They're refusing to follow the ancient good path that you have generously laid out for them. In the last chapter, in, in chapter uh, 5, Jeremiah was told to run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth that I may pardon her, the city of Jerusalem. Justice and truth, what we're just talking about in Sierra Leone, having schools for poor children, that's, that's bringing some justice to the world. Seeking after what's true and right and good, those are the signs of pure silver. But of course, Jeremiah was unable to find anyone who was like that. People who do justice and who seek truth in their lives will be pardoned, is what Jeremiah 5 says. They're precious metal. They're ready to be used by the Lord Almighty in service of the kingdom. But the dross, well, Psalm 119, verse 119. How cool is that? Psalm 119, 119 says, All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. Your testimonies tell me you desire for justice to roll down like mighty waters, Amos 5. Therefore, I love your ways, God. I want to see justice done. I'm going to be used by you. I'm going to be pure silver that's ready to go into service for the kingdom. The wicked are of no use to God. They're to be thrown out like refuse. But there's hope. God's not through with us, right? He's working on us. Malachi chapter 3, another minor prophet, in verse 3, he says this, God will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Thank God Almighty he's not done with us. Thank God that he's working on us, that he's refining us still like he was working on the people of Judah Look at verse 29, the refining process. The bellows blow fiercely. The lead is consumed by the fire. In vain, though, the refining goes on. For the wicked are not removed. Rejected silver, they are called. For the Lord has rejected them. So for the people of Judah at this point, 
in spite of God's refining process, they took lead and they used it as a flux and they would blow it with bellows to get the lead so hot that it would stoke the whole fire and remove all the impurities. The lead would collect the impurities out of the elements. Even though he tried to do that for his people, they refused to be changed in the fire. Therefore, they could not be refined and extreme measures were now necessary. So just a a few key takeaways from this whole passage here before we close. First, if you're lost today, if you're searching for meaning, if you're searching for flourishing, I would encourage you to go back to the ancient paths. Ask someone where the tried and true way is. Ask someone who's been there, how do you best navigate this life, this journey of life? The old stories are true. Believe that God is faithful today. The ways of our Christian forebears, the saints who've gone before us, are good They actually lead to flourishing. We do not need a new revelation. Don't seek after some new way that you're trying to forge for yourself when the old dusty road doesn't look good and you want to forge your own path. Just return to the ancient way. Second, what yoke have you taken on? I've I've met so many people who were raised in a legalistic Christian environment that are now done with the church. They've turned their back on Christ and His body because of the crushing weight of rules that were imposed on them as a young person. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about holding up Jesus Christ as good and following His way as good enough to make us right with Himself. Take on the yoke of Jesus. It actually is freedom. It's not bondage at all. I promise. Third, are you just going through the motions of church today? Has has empty ritual replaced a thriving love relationship with God Almighty in your life? Do you love Jesus Christ? Or are you here because you think that by sitting in a pew and maybe giving some money even to the church that it will gain you access to heaven? A lot of writers talk about the the unconverted evangelicals who sit on the pew every week, but on Matthew 25, when the Lord returns, and they say, Lord, Lord, and they'll say, who are you? I never knew you. It's a terrifying picture to think about, but it's important. A love relationship with Jesus Christ is what makes us righteous with God Himself. It should compel us to worship Him, to love His goodness, to declare His praises and His grace. Tune our hearts, O God, to sing Your grace. Don't be a part of empty rituals any longer. Finally, how's the refining process going? I know a lot of you personally are in the fire right now. I know a lot of you are going through tough times. I know a lot of you feel a a crushing uh, weight that is on you because of the impurities in your life. Maybe the Lord has you in that fire because He's trying to refine you, to make you pure, to make you useful for His kingdom. Will you embrace refinement? What are the impurities in your life that you're holding on to saying, no God, don't take them from me. Allow God... to to stoke the fire of refinement, saying, God, take all of me. I want to be used by you. Test me. Know me. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and then lead me into the way everlasting. How's that process going? It's never easy. Refinement's never easy, but it's good. Don't resist God's refining fire. Let the, the dross and the baggage go as you move into the ancient path for your life today. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, 
You are such a, a good God. You are high and exalted over all the earth, over all the nations, over all the economic prosperity, over all the military might of superpowers, God. All of that is, is nothing to you. And you have chosen us, O oh God, to be your treasured possession, a people for yourself. God, help us to live into that calling. We need your grace to show us where the ancient way is and to lead us in the way everlasting. Forgive us of choosing our own path time and time again, God. Lead us back onto the road that leads to flourishing, the ancient path that you have revealed once for all. God, forgive us of trying to change your ways. Forgive us of, of, of taking parts of, of your revealed truth and dismissing them or adding to them. God, we know that your way is good. It's not easy. <laughs> it's so hard to die to ourselves, God. But in doing so, we find freedom. In doing so, we find ultimate meaning and purpose as we seek for justice and truth in this world. Renew our hearts today, O oh God. Help us submit ourselves to the forge of refinement as we leave this place today that the dross would be left behind. We love you. We thank you for, for not giving up on us. We pray all these things in your high and your holy name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation at this time. If, if you think that maybe you've, you've never accepted Christ, you've, you're part of that unconverted evangelicals, maybe you've kind of been playing church for a long time, you're ready to quit playing games and get real with God, to, to have a real love relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord, I'd love to talk with you about that today. I'd love to, to, to pray with you about receiving Christ as your Lord, the free gift of salvation that he offers us today because of his work on the cross. If you need a church home, if you want to become part of Woodmont officially as a member, we'd love to talk with you about what membership looks like here at Woodmont as well. Whatever decision it is that you need to make today, we're going to stand and sing our hymn of response, Ancient Words, Ever True, Changing Me, Changing You. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>